It seems like a lifetime ago since we received Ashes on Ash Wednesday and traveled through Lent. Last Sunday, as Allison mentioned earlier, we celebrated Easter and most of us managed to find a joyful blessing in that, even though we celebrated it differently than we ever had before. And yet in the aftermath of that Easter Sunday, we may be feeling a little cooped up. In fact, we might even be looking toward the Lord and saying, Jesus, we thank you that your tomb was empty. We get that, we understand. But right now, we still feel like we're in a tomb. We are in quarantine. We're plagued by uncertainty. And, and the good feelings that come with Easter, the joy that's supposed to be everlasting, ebbs and flows with us right now. So forgive us for our doubts. The thing we have to remember is that the tomb was still empty that God's promise still remains and that the promise of the resurrection is still ours and that the uncertainty we feel today might be a lot like the uncertainty that the disciples were feeling in the days after they found an empty tomb. They had to have been surprised, maybe didn't understand what that empty tomb meant for them. They had uncertainties just like we do. But when the women went to the tomb and found it empty, those women and the disciples were reminded that Jesus had told them that he, after he had risen, would precede them to Galilee. So let me read a couple verses from you from Mark's gospel. This is what the man clothed in white said to the women when they came to the tomb. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. This isn't the first time we've heard about Jesus preceding the disciples into Galilee. He told them he was going to do that on the night of the Last Supper. We spoke about it just a few weeks ago. We were talking about how Jesus let the disciples know they were going to betray him, especially Peter. We heard about Peter's blustery reply. Let me refresh your memory. These are the words that Jesus spoke as they're recorded in Matthew's gospel. He told them, This very night you will fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. And Peter replied, Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Poor Peter. Little did he know. We know that he did deny Jesus. And when he realized it, that what Jesus had told him was true, he wept bitter tears. But another day in Galilee was yet to come. And that's where we're going to turn today, to the gospel accounts of what happened after the tomb was found empty. If we read Matthew, Mark, and Luke's gospels, we'll find there are many similarities there. In each case, one or more women went to the tomb and found it empty. In each case, they let the disciples know, or they were supposed to let the disciples know. But after that, those gospels, even though they're similar, had differences in the details. In Matthew's gospel, the women 
ran to tell the disciples, but along the way they saw Jesus and they ran to him and clasped his feet. And Jesus told them to go tell the others that he was going to precede them to Galilee. And the others saw Jesus after they went to Galilee as they had been instructed and they worshiped him. And then he gave them what we know today as the Great Commission. And we'll talk about that a little bit more a little bit later. In Matthew's gospel, the women didn't tell anyone. They were confused, and the gospel abruptly ended there. And then later, additional verses were added to the end of Mark's gospel to make them more in harmony with Luke and Matthew. In Luke's gospel, the women did indeed tell the men that the tomb was empty and they had been told that Jesus was preceding them to Galilee, but the men did not believe that. But Peter, he went alone to the tomb to check it out. He found it was empty. And he walked away in puzzlement. I sometimes think about what Peter must have been thinking that day. If that's the way the story unfolded and Peter found the tomb empty, he might have thought, oh my goodness, I denied the risen Lord. What have I done? Woe is me. He might even have been comparing himself to Judas. And then, and then there was a dispersion of the disciples. Two of them walked along a road to a city called Emmaus. They were going home. They were downcast, their faces They had long faces. And they ran into a stranger along the road who they didn't recognize, who asked them, why are you so sad? Why are you so downcast? They said, where have you been? Don't you know what happened in Jerusalem? They crucified Jesus of Nazareth. And he walked along with them and explained the scriptures to them and why what had happened to Jesus fulfilled the scriptures, why it had to happen. And then when they finally reached Emmaus, the men invited Jesus in to have a meal with them because it was getting late. And when they sat at the table, Jesus broke the bread, and in that instant, those men recognized Jesus. And their hearts were glad, and Jesus disappeared. And the men turned right around and rushed all the way back to Jerusalem and shared the good news with the others. Jesus appeared to all the disciples then in the upper room, and then he led them to Bethany where he ascended to heaven. Great similarities and some differences in those three gospel accounts. But John's gospel's different. It tells a more detailed story of what happened in Galilee. Just as on the night of the Last Supper, John included something that no one else included. On that night, it had been the washing of the disciples' feet by Jesus. In John's gospel about the post-resurrection appearances of the Lord, he shared information about a an encounter along a shoreline in Galilee. In his account of the post-resurrection days, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb alone. She found it empty. She went and told Peter and John, who raced to the tomb. Peter rushed inside and saw the cloth that Jesus had been wrapped in, but Jesus was gone. And then he and John returned to the place they had been staying, presumably the upper room. Mary Magdalene looked into the tomb and saw it was empty and she cried. 
angels asked her why she was crying. Then she saw a man walking in the garden where the tomb was, and she presumed that he was a gardener. And she asked him, where is my Lord? Do you know where they've taken him? And he looked at her and said her name, Mary. And she realized that it was Jesus. And she rushed to him, and he said, don't, don't cling to me. Go and tell the others. And she went to the upper room. And there, Jesus appeared to the disciples. The room was locked up, and he just appeared as though he had walked right through the walls. And they had a meal together, but Thomas, the one we call Doubting Thomas, wasn't there. And when the disciples shared with Thomas later that Jesus had appeared to them in the upper room and to Mary, he said, I don't believe it, I won't believe it, until I put my hand on his wounds. Sure enough, a little later, Jesus appeared again in the upper room. Thomas had his opportunity to touch those wounds, and then he believed. And he said, my Lord and my God. After those upper room encounters, the disciples did indeed go to Galilee. You see, all the Gospels, they point to Galilee. They have differences, but they all make mention of Jesus meeting the disciples there. The place where he had called them to follow him. The place where he found them exactly as they were in their ordinary lives. The place where he began to reveal to them who he was and why he came, even if they didn't understand. When I think of the disciples returning to Galilee after the resurrection, I can imagine many different reasons for them doing that. Maybe some of them had just had enough. They had lost hope. They wanted to forget the last three years they'd spent with Jesus and go back to their uncomplicated and unfulfilling lives the way they were before they met Jesus. Maybe they had doubts. Maybe some of them remembered that Jesus had told them in the upper room before he was arrested that he would precede them to Galilee and they rushed there hoping that they would see him there again. Maybe they were obeying the angel's instructions. Maybe they were seeking a way forward in a place that had always seemed safe. Because without Jesus, they were lost. They had lost their purpose, and they really didn't know what would come next. And there's no better example of that being lost than we have in Peter. You know, in Mark's gospel, when the figure clad in white saw the Marys when they came to the tomb, he said, go tell the disciples and Peter that I'm going ahead of them to Galilee. The disciples and Peter, as though Peter was no longer a disciple, as though he had been fired from his job to become the rock upon whom Christ would build his church. Then Jesus appeared to Peter in the upper room, and we don't hear of any discussion between them. I can only imagine that Peter hung back, maybe ashamed, afraid, forlorn. So he returned to Galilee and did what he did before he met Jesus. He went fishing, and some of the other disciples went with him. You know, the story of that shoreline is a story of restoration. 
like none other. After the men went back to Galilee, they went out on a boat one night, they fished and they caught nothing, nothing at all. In the morning, they saw a figure on the shoreline. They saw smoke rising from a fire. And the figure, who they didn't recognize, called out to them, throw your nets out on the other side of the boat. I can imagine there were a few eye rolls. I'm an eye roller, are any of you? They might have been thinking, oh, we've been fishing all night and didn't catch anything. We're tired. Why do we need to do this? But they threw their nets over on the other side of the boat, and lo and behold, their nets were full to the breaking point. And in that moment, Peter realized that figure on the shore was Jesus. And he put on his clothes and he jumped in the water and rushed to the shore. They brought some of the fish they caught that morning to shore where Jesus was already cooking fish over a fire. He had bread with him. And once again, the master, the Lord of lords, the king of kings, the risen Christ, demonstrated what it meant to be a servant. He served them the breakfast he had cooked. And they were restored to fellowship with Jesus and with one another. They became the disciples once again, even though they had scattered, even though they had abandoned him. But then Jesus turned to Peter in a story that should give every one of us incredible hope. This man, Peter, who had denied the Lord three times, Jesus looked at him and said, Simon, do you love me? You see, he had given the man called Simon the name Peter when he had commissioned him to become the rock upon whom Jesus would build his church. And he was reminding Peter that he hadn't acted like that rock. So he reverted to his old name and said, Simon, do you love me? And Peter said, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus replied, then feed my lambs. Then he asked Peter a second time, Simon, do you love me? And again, Simon Peter replied, I love you, Lord. Yes, I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. And then a third time he asked, Simon, do you love me? Now we might think that Peter was exasperated. I don't think he was. I think by this time he was humbled beyond belief. The Lord was reminding him that he had denied Jesus three times. But still he asked him, do you love me? And Peter replied, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, then take care of my flock. You see, he was telling Peter, you came back to Galilee and you took up your old worldly ways and you went out to be a fisherman and you didn't catch anything, but I am calling you, recalling you and restoring you to be the rock upon whom I will build my church. I want you to be a divine, heavenly mission-filling shepherd. I don't want you to be a worldly fisherman anymore. You know, I had the good pleasure to visit the shore, the shoreline along which Jesus restored Peter. There's a church there now and a statue, and the statue 
includes an inscription of a verse from Matthew chapter 16. It reads, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Because, you see, Peter didn't deny Jesus again. After this restoration, he remained faithful. And we know if we continue to read in the scriptures through Acts that he was an amazing force for the Lord in the world. And he baptized thousands, Jew and Gentile alike. The story reminds us that Peter indeed became who Jesus called him to be. And we need to remember that Jesus restores us still today. Our purpose hasn't been eliminated because of a virus. We too are called to feed his sheep. And we're going to start doing that again tomorrow by opening open arms. And on May 9th, you are invited to take part in that. We are going to have a drive through grocery drop-off over in the Christian Life Enrichment Center. Between 9 and 12, 9 and noon in the morning, if you drive up the long driveway along the side of the Christian Life Enrichment Center and pop open your trunk, we'll take out the groceries that you've placed in your trunk. We don't want you to get out of your car. We want to do this in a safe way. There will be volunteers there with masks and gloves on, and we will replenish the pantry at Open Arms so we can continue to do as Jesus calls us to do. We continue to feed his flock in a physical way with food and in a spiritual way by sharing his love with them. You see, we aren't saved. We aren't saved to sit idly by and wait for the day when we rest in peace and rise in glory. We're saved to serve, to shepherd the flock, to love our neighbor, and to love one another. The disciples' story on the shoreline in Galilee teaches us that fishing without Jesus is an empty proposition. It's a worldly proposition, and it yields nothing. But fishing with Jesus gives us a hope and a purpose and a reason. When we fish with Jesus, we're restored. Despite our regrets for failing him, perhaps, Despite our regrets over having doubts because times are hard, we can find our hearts empty, but when we fish with Jesus, we're transformed from fishermen into shepherds. And the kind of restoration that he provides us, it lets us know what it feels like to be forgiven, to have a purpose, and to be truly free of all the things that afflict us in this world. Jesus told the disciples, I'll go ahead of you. Meet me in Galilee. He says the same thing to us today. And you might look at me in light of today's circumstances and say, well, Pam, I can't go to Galilee. The airlines aren't flying. I'm restricted. Galilee is a place over in Israel. And that's true. It's still there. There's still cities along its shore. I had the good pleasure of visiting Capernaum, Magdala, the home of Mary Magdalene, Tiberias. It's a beautiful place, the Galilee area. It was my favorite place in the Holy Land. In fact, other people love Jerusalem more, but you can give me Galilee any day because that was the place where I have felt the closest to Jesus as I have ever felt in my life. 
It's a place of refuge. A place where the disciples had the best of times with their Lord. Where they learned and thrived. It was a place where they were restored. While I was there, I did a little self-video. I took it, I wanted to share it with you, and I wasn't uh, tech-savvy enough to get it posted on Facebook while I was in the Holy Land. I took it around February 4th or 5th. But I brought it home with me, and I'd like to show it to you now in the hopes that Galilee will give you some peace of mind. Let's take a look. Good morning, friends. This is Pam, standing at the shores of the Sea of Galilee, thinking about the fact that I'm looking out at a place where Jesus called his disciples, a place where he walked on water. And on a shore like this, he restored Peter after Peter denied him three times, telling him, feed my sheep. My prayer for all of us today is that we, like Peter, will be faithful disciples, knowing that we can be restored, no matter what we've done or where we've been. God bless you from the shores of the Sea of Galilee. I had no idea when I took that film that I would be preaching today about restoration in the midst of a pandemic that has us isolated and feeling either cooped up or very much alone. What I said that day is that the Sea of Galilee still restores, and it does. And what I'd like to suggest to you this morning as we draw to a close is that Jesus still calls us to meet him in Galilee. Not the physical place, the best analogy I can draw for you is um, to a song. A few years ago at Christmas time, a woman named Francesca Battistelli recorded a song, Be Born in Me. It was a song that was being sung by the Virgin Mary after she learned she would become the mother of the baby Christ child. And a line of the lyrics said, Let my heart be your Bethlehem. Well, I think we need a new song today. We need an Easter song, a song of restoration. It needs to be called, Let My Heart Be Your Galilee. Let your heart become the place where you meet Jesus. After his death and resurrection, he still calls to us. Open your heart and say, Jesus, come. Come into my heart, let it be Galilee. You know, when the, the gospel accounts of Jesus' encounters ended, he left the disciples with a passage of scripture that we call the Great Commission. I'd like to read it for you now. This is what it says. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That scripture is so important for us to remember because it contains a promise, a promise that Jesus is with us 
always, today, in our homes, where we worship apart from one another. He is with us tomorrow. He will be with us when this time of quarantine ends. He is with us always. And that's a promise we can't afford to forget. But he also gave us a purpose, to go and make disciples. And the story of Jesus on the shore of the Sea of Galilee with his disciples remind us that he has restored us to fellowship and we will be together in fellowship once again. And he has restored us to our discipleship if this last month has given us doubts. Jesus says, meet me in Galilee and let us respond, yes, come Lord Jesus, come. Meet me in Galilee.